0: What do we do whenever our culture tells us a different answer to what's good and evil, whenever our society looks at something that the church is doing and says, that's not loving? What do we do whenever we feel called to do something that we know people aren't going to like, that that might even cost us some friends? How do we know what to do in those situations? Is it possible that whenever society influences our definition of good and evil, that we have allowed society to become an idol in our lives. Hi, I'm Joseph Walter and this is Loving Theology. And what we're discussing today is we're going to wrap up a series that we've been talking through about who is the definer of good and evil. What we've seen in this series is that God alone reserves the right to define good and evil for us that that is a role that only he can fill. And we also saw that it's a good thing that he's the one who can fill it because he's the only one who is wise enough, who knows how we are made, who knows these good things that he made for us to enjoy and knows how they're meant to work together. That whenever he defines something as good, it's because it's good for us. Whenever he calls something evil, it's because he loves us and he hates the harm that that thing does to us. That whenever he says something, you know, it might be easy to think, well, why can't everything be good? You know, why why does there have to be evil? Well, the reason that God calls something evil, the reason that he says don't do that thing, the reason that he condemns something is because of the harm that it produces in our lives. So it's his love actually that defines good and evil for us. And he's done that throughout the scriptures. And so whenever we sit in the role of God and we define good and evil for ourselves, like we saw last time, whenever we use our reason to define good and evil, we've taken our reason, we've put it in the place of an idol because God alone deserves to fill that role of defining good and evil for us. In fact, this is what we saw at the Garden of Eden, that in the Garden of Eden, whenever Eve chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she was choosing for herself to know what good and evil was. It says that she looked at the fruit and that it was desirable to make one wise. And Satan's temptation to her was, you will become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. So what what happens is that whenever we pursue our own definition, our own understanding of good and evil, we've put ourselves in the place of God. We've made our reason an idol in our lives. But the reality and what I want to explore today is that it's not just us that we put in that place. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes we look around us and we look at society or our friends and what they approve of and what they think of. and we, We sort of run a situation by them trying to get their feedback on what they think. And sometimes that's okay to be a sounding board uh, for people. And sometimes that's okay to look for that sounding board in other people. But the reality is that whenever we allow anything other than the scriptures to influence our definition of good and evil, we've missed the mark. We've put that thing in the place of an idol in our lives. And I think that this is actually one of the most common forms of modern idolatry. Whenever we look to society to define good and evil for us. And here's the problem is that our culture is a blind guide whenever it comes to what's actually good for us. Our culture doesn't truly know what's loving, doesn't truly know what is good, what's evil, what's right, and what's wrong. And so whenever we look to man or to society to define that for us, we'll inevitably get it wrong because God's the only one who's wise enough to know what's truly good for us. There's actually a verse that warns about this. It's in Isaiah 520, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we talked, like I said, a couple weeks ago about the imagery that's in there. And I'll put a link for that if you want to explore it more. But it just, it tells us why it's so important to get the definition of good and evil, right? That there's nothing more important than that because that's what gives us light. That's what shows us what the truth is as opposed to forcing us to live in a world where we don't even know if truth exists. It's what tells us what will actually bring joy and happiness in our life. What will actually bring us life as opposed to what brings death to our souls and depression and bitterness. But, but here's the thing that I want to highlight out of this verse this time, is that we get it backwards. That we take something that's good and we call it evil. We don't just miss the mark a little bit. We get it completely backwards. And, and what, that, what that looks like is that we take something, for example, that's evil. Something that actually truly does bring us harm. Because that's what we understood is that what's evil is what truly brings us death, something that actually adds to our depression, something that adds to our weight, something that that causes turmoil in our soul. And we say, that's good. We endorse it. We say, go after that thing, that that's what produces good in our lives. But the truth of the matter is that we have gotten it completely backwards. And so we end up chasing after these things that bring us death. If I could maybe highlight one area where I feel like our culture has gotten it wrong and where I think it's really actually pretty tempting to let other people, not just our culture, but our friends, our neighbors, to dictate for us what's loving, is, is this idea of supporting people. That whatever somebody wants to do that you're supposed to support them and, and really what I think it is, is that we call it loving. We say that it's loving to support people, to encourage people in what they wanna do. But really, I think we've just sort of said, you know, you have to be nice, that that's kind of what's good and what's evil is, is whether or not you're being nice or being mean. And I think sometimes we even, that's what we teach our kids is that it's about just being nice. But the honest truth is that there's so much more to the story. You see, I think we've simplified it down to this idea that whatever a person wants to do, if I want to do something, don't stand in my way. If you've offended me, then I can just say you're not being loving. If you tell me that I shouldn't be doing something, how, how sh- shouldn't be doing something? How dare you? What gives you the right? But the honest truth is that sometimes what's loving is to confront people, and that sometimes what's loving isn't necessarily just to be nice. And and I realize that's a really difficult thing maybe to hear, and it maybe makes you wonder, okay, should I just turn this guy off? But let me give you a few examples of what Jesus did sometimes. See, there's a few examples where I've read it in the scripture, and I go, wait a minute. Do I know who Jesus was? Is that really loving God? Let me read just a couple of these examples. This is John 8, 44. It says, this is Jesus talking. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's very harsh. I mean, is that really being nice? Is that really being loving? But Jesus was doing it. We know that it defines love for us. How about Matthew 16, 23, whenever he turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man is saying to one of your friends get behind me satan loving well definitionally yes because what jesus did for us exemplified love for us so whenever you feel that conflict where you go wait that doesn't look loving to me that means that we have our definition of love wrong or john 2:15, whenever jesus it says that he making a whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple With the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Whenever Jesus overturned those tables and made that fit and drove out the money changers, was that loving? You see, I think that our innate reaction, that the preconditioned response that we've been trained by our society, is to say that doesn't look very loving. And the reason that it doesn't look loving is because he wasn't simply encouraging them and supporting them in whatever they were doing. You see, let me maybe try to explain the more fundamental problem with this definition of good and evil, with this definition for what's loving. You see, see, at a fundamental level, the reason that this type of confrontation can actually be loving is, is made clear whenever you think of it this way. Imagine that somebody is about to do something that you know is going to cause them harm. Is it loving to then encourage them to do it? To say, go for it. To say, yeah, absolutely. If you wanna do that, go for it. Does that sound loving? If, if my kid's about to put the, the fork in the socket, do I look at them and go, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. If you wanna do that, that'll be good. You should do that if you want to. Of course, that's not loving. Or, or what if I try to stop them? What if I know that somebody is about to do something that's going to hurt them and I try to help them not do it? I try to encourage them not to do it. I try to tell them, that's not what you wanna do. Is that really hateful? Of course not. The reason that I'm doing it is really what determines whether or not it's loving and hating. If the reason that I'm doing it is to prevent them from causing themselves harm, of course it's loving because my concern is for them. If my heart is for somebody, then I'm loving them. It doesn't come from this place of self-righteousness. Of course, if we're doing that, we've missed the mark. But if it comes from this place of concern for them, of concern for their well-being then at that point it's love. And maybe more fundamental than that though is how do we know that it actually will cause them harm? And that's where we have to get back to this definition of good and evil, who defines good and evil for us. And the reason, like we said earlier, that God calls something good is because it's what's good for us. And the reason that he calls something evil is because it will bring us harm. So we can know for certain that whenever God says it's good or God says it's evil, whenever we read in our scriptures what defines good and evil for us, we can know for sure that those are the things that will bring life or produce harm, produce death. And so whenever we see someone asking us or about to do something that is going to bring them death, something that the scripture tells us is evil, something that the scripture tells us brings us harm, it's not loving to encourage them to do it. In fact, I think that that's the exact absence of love, that there's no concern for them whenever we know that it will produce death and we remain silent. Now, I'm obviously not saying this in the context of trying to give us free reign to be harsh with people. If you've heard that, then you've entirely missed my point. My point is that we can't let other people and how they're going to feel about what we say determine whether or not we say it. At the end of the day, we can't encourage everybody in everything that they want to do because sometimes they wanna do things that are gonna hurt them. And you see if our focus is entirely around well how will they feel about me after i say this will they feel like i was being loving then at that point i think we're actually being self-centered because we're worried about our relationship with them and and how we how they'll feel about us and whether or not there's turmoil there and the hardship that that might produce more so than we're worried about what is truly good for them what will truly bring them life and jesus certainly wasn't worried about that whenever he turned to peter and said get behind me satan he was more worried about about Peter's soul in that moment than he was worried about whether or not Peter liked what he had to say. And I think that's the kind of love that we need more of today. We have a whole other series where we talk about this, that our, our goal here isn't to pass judgment on people. Our goal here is to help to save people, save people from the damages of sin. I, I call that series, Don't Judge, Help. And I'll put a link for that below so that you can check it out. But in that series, what we saw is that we can't do that on our own. We don't actually know what's gonna truly help somebody on our own. That maybe we can even see, and we can read in the scriptures, and we know the definition of good and evil, and we can see that what they're doing isn't good for them. But how do we actually help them take one step closer to accepting God's definition of good and evil? That's a, that's a question that we can't answer. That's a question that takes the leading of the Holy Spirit because he's dealing with every, every one of us. Because we've got so many sins, he's dealing with all of us differently at different times about different things. And we want to partner with the Holy Spirit in the work that He is doing. The scripture tells us what's good for us. But we also need the Holy Spirit to know how we actually help people move to that definition. The point is that we need a guide. That we can't do this on our own. And so the question to you, the question to me, is who is going to be our guide? Who is going to tell us what's good and what's evil? Not just generally, but in the moment. What's good in that moment to do? What should we do in that moment? But also generally, what's good for us? What what are the things that we should pursue? What are the ideals, the the things that look like true good character? What should we pursue? Who's going to be that guide? Uh, On the one hand, we can choose to be that guide. We can look to our own reason to define what's good and evil for us. And we saw the damage that that can do to us last time. Or we can look to other people. And we can decide, okay, based on how they'll receive this is whether or not I'm going to do it. That if somebody felt like something I did wasn't loving, then maybe it wasn't loving. And we we take that as our definition. We say, okay, well, if, if people don't like what I have to say, then I probably shouldn't say anything. And we use then, at that point, other people or our culture to define what's good and evil for us. That's another option. That could be our guide. But there's also so many other choices. Our feelings could be our guide. How we feel in the moment, we could think of that as what's truly true about the situation, what's actually real there. Or maybe it's what will bring success and we take a very utilitarian approach of figuring out the consequences. How will this affect so many people? And then we use that to be our guide for what's good and what's evil. Or, Or maybe it's just a gut instinct and we just go with our gut at every turn. Is that going to be our guide? You see, at the end of the day, none of these other alternatives have the authority to define good and evil for us. None of these other alternatives have the right to be our guide. Anytime that we choose these things to guide us in understanding what's good and evil generally, or in understanding what we ought to do in that situation, at that point, we have elevated those things to the status of idol. We've put them in the place of God and said, what should I do? Be my guide. At the end of the day, the only one who can define good and evil for us, the only one who cares for us, the only one who is wise enough to be able to be that guide for us is God. So as we ask ourselves that question, as you ask yourself that question, who is going to be our guide? Who's going to be your guide? I want you to realize that you are back in the garden of Eden and you have two choices. You have the choice of the tree of life of trusting God's definition of good and evil, letting him define for us and show us what to do, not just generally, but even in the moment, that we pursue his will, that we follow Christ's example and saying we only do what we see the Father doing and we only say what we hear the Father saying. That is what produces life. And you have that choice. Or you have the choice of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in choosing that, we choose for ourselves what's good and evil. We figure it out on our own. Maybe we use society as one of our inputs. Whatever it is, we we choose our own definition of good and evil. And we say, be my guide. But the inevitable consequence of that choice is the same as it was for Adam and Eve. Death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, choosing for ourselves, will always lead to death. Because we will always get it wrong. And that's the choice that God has put before you today. Who is going to be your guide I hope that this series has been helpful to you. I hope that you've been able to see something through it. If you haven't seen the whole series, I'll put a link for it below so that you can watch the whole thing and catch up. We'll start a new series next time. I appreciate you taking time to join with us. Be sure to to hit the subscribe, bell, uh, the subscribe button and the bell so that you can uh, keep up with us as we put out new content. Um, and don't forget to follow us on all of our so- other social media accounts. Thank you for taking time to be with us today.